Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. He covers college football for The Athletic. He is Stuart, Man- uh, Stuart Mandel with us on The Big Show. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Hey, we're doing great. Love it that we're talking a little off-season college football with all these kind of post-spring top 25s and those things coming out. Let's start off, uh, talk a little bit about Utah returning a lot of players, a lot of people uh, thinking they're the favorite in the South. Would you agree with that assessment? I do. And in fact, when I did my uh, post-spring top 25 a couple weeks ago, uh, I didn't necessarily intend to do this, but ended up ranking Utah the highest of any Pac-12 team. Um, I think that they, two things, I think, you know, people who maybe only know what the final record was uh, don't necessarily realize how well that team was playing before suffering some devastating injuries on offense. So I'm looking at them more as that team than I am the team that scored three points in the Pac-12 championship game. And then, you know, everybody has questions, obviously, this time of year. But compared to the amount of losses Washington is, is trying to replace, uh, and some of the other teams, I felt like, well, you know what? I think Utah may have the fewest, relatively speaking, the fewest question marks of any Pac-12 team. You know, it's interesting uh, because Kyle Whittingham talked about the, 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 the ramp up to where they are now, having to catch up in talent with the rest of the Pac-12 coming from the Mountain West. And uh, I think they're there, Stuart. I, I think they're right there, just like you do. And I think you have them rated higher than any other ranking I've seen. I think I had them 12th. Um, now that speaks to kind of the the, the, the down cycle the Pac-12 is in right now, if the highest-ranked Pac-12 team is 12th. But, yeah, I mean, they uh, – I mean, first of all, Kyle Whittingham is not uh, shied away from the fact he thinks this is the best defensive line he's ever had, which is saying something because they've had a lot of good ones there. Uh, but, you know, I feel like for for years it's been a broken record. Is this the year Utah is going to have a more explosive offense? Is this the year? And for that stretch in whatever it was, October, early November last year, when they were putting up 40 points every week, we finally saw it. And then just worst possible luck, losing Huntley and Moss. So uh, with them back, you know, I know that they lost some pieces elsewhere. But, yeah, it looks like you've got the makings of a team that can – finally um, say that it's got a lot of proven talent on both sides of the ball. Stuart, what do you think the odds are of Clay Hilton riding the ship there at USC? Pretty slim, to be honest. Um, you know, it's not – I do think that Graham Harrell was, you know, was a good pickup, not as glamorous as Cliff Kingsbury, but a good offensive coordinator. So it's, it's not so much that. I mean, I do think they'll be better. They have players. But if you look at the schedule, the first half of that schedule – is just brutal. You know, there's there's no there's no easy game in there. And so when you're a coach who's on the hot seat, you know, every week is a referendum on your job. And so they could be a much better team. And if they start 4-2, and two, everybody's going to want them fired. And, you know, it's going to be hard to overcome that. So, you know, they're going to have to really, really, you know, they have to block them up, though, frankly, in that first part of the year so that, you know, they have a really good record. And then, be in contention at the end of the season for the Pac-12 title because I do think, you know, it's not just like getting back to a bowl with him. The the, the bar at USC is obviously much higher. They need to be in the mix for the Pac-12 title at the end. Stuart, it's been reported by the Pac-12 itself that its individual teams are getting like $20 million less than some of the other power conferences, and they have not really been at the same level competitively with some of the other power conferences. Are those two things related? 
Yeah, I'm, I seem to be in the minority who's not freaking out about that uh, in terms of football, at least. I think it's a coincidence. I think every conference goes through up-and-down cycles, maybe with the exception of the SEC, and the Pac-12 is in a down cycle right now. But, uh, you know, if you look back to before the current TV deal, uh, this would have been like 2010, 2011, you know, you had teams that were getting $6 million a year from their conference in the Pac-12, not $30 million, $6 million. And Oregon played in the national championship. Stanford with Andrew Luck was really good. So, you know, the, the revenue gap to me, where they're going to start to feel it at some point, is actually where the Pac-12 is currently dominant, and that's in the Olympic sports. You know, they're the conference of champions. They've long been uh, far ahead of the other conferences as a whole in, in the less glamorous sports, if you will. But now suddenly the Big Ten's giving their schools $50 million a year, uh, which is insane. And you got to spend that money somewhere. You can't pay the players. You can only, you know, install so many waterfalls in your locker room. So I assume they're going to be spending a lot more money to support the non-revenue sports. And suddenly, not the Pac-12 is going to start spending less on theirs, but that gap might start to close. Stuart Mandel of The Athletic with us on 97.5 and, and 1280 The Zone. And, Stuart, over the last year or so, it seems like there's been negative stories with Larry Scott every few weeks or every month, whether it's, uh, you know, overdoing it when he stays in Vegas in some, you know, grand <laughs> room or that uh, the replay booth, which was such a disaster last year. What do you think about the job he's doing, and does he deserve the heat that he's getting? Yeah, I mean, I've tried my best to try to separate the issue, Pac-12 has a lot of issues right now. Some of them you can squarely blame on him. Some of them you can't. You know, Larry Scott is not the reason that, you know, USC and UCLA's football programs are so mediocre right now. And, and the fact that they are really drags down the whole conference. Uh, but the officiating situation you mentioned to me was just absolutely excusable. And they never, and Woody Dixon, who was at the center of it, is still employed there, absolutely deserves all the heat for that. The optics of that hotel suite obviously were not great. And, you know, more than anything, you know, the Pac-12 network, the whole strategy of uh, keeping it ownership to themselves, not going on with a cable partner, that's all on him. To this point, it has backfired. The, the, the network's still not on Pac-12 network. Uh, it's the, the amount of revenue it produces for schools is, frankly, pretty minimal now. They're making a big bet that it'll pay off when the next TV contract comes up, and we'll see about that. I don't know if Larry Scott will still be the commissioner by the time that gets here. But, you know, he's really lost the support of most of the ADs and a lot of the presidents in that conference. He's just got a couple presidents who've been there for a long time who are still very much in his corner. Stuart, do you think that independence has really hurt BYU football? Or would, If you were advising them, would you uh, tell them to go a different way? Yeah, that, that uh, eternal question with BYU. Um, you know, I get why you wouldn't, why it would be uh, – I mean, power. there's no Power 5 option right now, and there's pride there, obviously, where you don't want to necessarily go back to the Group of Five conference the Mountain West. Um, obviously, they have a good situation with ESPN, but they're just kind of in this no-man's land. When they when they agreed to do this in the first place, we were still in the days of the BCF. Uh, the playoff changed everything, and now they're in this kind of no-man's land where they, they uh, like if you're in the Mountain West, yeah, the playoff's a long shot. But at least you have this guarantee that if you win the Mountain West and you're the highest-ranked champion of that group, you're going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. They don't have that automatic entry point, and they don't, in a lot of years, they don't even have a guaranteed bowl to go to, period. So 
you know, I just feel like every year since they've done this, even the years where they've had a decent record, you know, they start in the spotlight a little bit because they're playing the big-name opponents, but then they get into that part of the schedule where the big-name opponents are playing in their own conference games, and they just kind of fall off the map. Uh, I think if they're in a conference and vying for conference championships, they would be more relevant, more part of the conversation throughout the season. Taking into account the way Gary left Oregon State, what did you think about Gary Anderson getting the Utah State job? Um, definitely surprised. Uh, I thought, you know, when those, when those text messages came out uh, about him just throwing his assistance under the bus on his way out of town in Oregon State, I, mean, I really thought that guy's never going to be a, head, a college head coach again. Like, who, who would trust him? Uh, but he happened to land at the one school that where this could be possible. He, he would not have gotten a head coaching job, I don't think, at any other FBS school, but Utah State, where he obviously had success, and there's still a lot of admiration for him, from the, especially from the donors there, um, were willing to make it happen, frankly, kind of against the wishes of their own AD. So it's been surprising, to say the least, uh, but that doesn't mean that he can't make it work. I mean, he's made it work before. Stuart, I'd say you hit that one right on the head. That's exactly what <laughs> yeah. happened. You are exactly right. I'm curious, though, have you had a chance to watch Jordan Love play the quarterback at Utah State? He's pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, not as much as I'd like to. Uh, I think, you know, going into this season, he'll be definitely on our radar since we want to tune in and watch. But, yes, he is really good. And um, I'm interested, I'm most interested to see not just what he can do, but can he and that offense keep this up? With, with, the, with the coaching change, right? Like, it's one thing to lose your head coach. It's another thing to lose your head coach and the offensive coordinator who really spearheaded, you know, this, this fantastic transformation they had at Utah State. It's not like they were putting up uh, the kind of numbers they did last year uh, the whole time uh, that um, Coach Wells was there. This was really towards the end with a very specific offensive coordinator. Now he's gone to Texas Tech, too. So a lot of change there. Hopefully they can keep it up. I'm excited to see him play this season. I have a, a question that uh, ranks right up there with uh, what's the meaning of life. <laughs> How does Nick Saban do what he does at Alabama? Um, that's not an easy question to answer in simple form. You know, um, it's been going for so long at this point that uh, it just – it's like every new class that comes in is handed the handbook and they know what they have to do and they do it. And it's just frankly kind of amazing that they've never had to this point, at least usually at some point you bring in a class that just doesn't pan out. They don't, they bring in these highly ranked recruiting classes every year and all those four and five stars end up in the NFL three years later. It's, it's amazing. Now the amount of turnover he's had on his coaching staff the past two years is unprecedented. You know, it was a big turnover uh, last offseason, and then, you know, a bunch of new coaches, and then a bunch of those guys after only one year are now gone, too. So you would think that would catch up to them at some point, you know, not having any continuity really on that coaching staff. It's really Nick Saban. At this point, it's Nick Saban and a bunch of guys who have barely worked for him. But, you know, I, I've, I've stopped trying to predict when the dynasty will end. It'll, it'll, it'll end when they're actually 8-4, and four, and um, and we can see it with our own eyes. I mean, it was definitely shocking to see them get blown out in the national championship game. That was not something we'd seen before. Um, but I'll believe it when I see it, that they're actually going to be 
um, you know, have that down year that they haven't had in over a decade. One more question for you from me, Stuart. As you, you've been covering college football for a long time, you've been coming on our shows for a long time. I don't mean to make it sound like you're old or anything, just wise. <laughs> you're very wise. What do you think is the greatest challenge facing college football moving forward, or college sports in general for that matter? Um, you know, specific to college football, I think that while the playoff has been very exciting and you know, a natural step that the sport was always going to take probably at some point. Uh, it's had this unintended effect of really, um, you know, focusing on this one part of the country for the most part. The South, I don't think you could have anticipated that not just the SEC, but the SEC and Clemson would dominate that event so much. And so as it's a combination of not just that, but as the sport becomes more and more about the playoffs, um, and, and you know, the fact that guys are now skipping major bowl games tells you just how the separation between the importance of the playoff and everything else, there is a danger of, you know, that, that the non-Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State for the world might start to lose a little bit of interest. If you're a, a fan of Purdue or Illinois or any number of these schools who realistically are not going to be in the playoff, whether even if you expand it to eight, but, you know, they're going any given years to make the outback bowl. That would be a really good season. You know, that's become so devalued that I think that that's what they have to worry about, that college football becomes um, just so, so focused on this, this really, frankly, kind of small pool of schools that in any given year are realistic playoff contenders and that everybody else feels like they're playing in a different sport. So, you know, that's why that's a big reason why you're starting to see uh, people like Tim Delaney and Barry Alvarez, you know, important people say, yeah, we are open actually now to talking about an 18 playoff because they feel like, I mean, the Pac-12 hasn't even been part of the playoff conversation in the last couple of years. They feel like this has become more of a regional event than a national event. I wonder what the solution is to that. Because remember when they went to 85 scholarships, it seems like you saw more upsets. You saw more, a little more balance, at least. I, I wonder, that question really doesn't have an answer, does it? Yeah, I don't know what you can do about parity. Um, and you're right. It did seem like when I went to 85. But what it, I mean, it did open the door for you know, Northwestern to go to the Rose Bowl and Wake Forest to have a, uh, you know, go to, with, go to the Orange Bowl one year. But it hasn't really changed who the, you know, the reigning powers are. I mean, Clemson would be, you know, kind of an exception, although they've won a national title in their recent past. So, you know, I think all they can really do is think about, okay, you know, the sport has always been about you have to excel your entire season to make the national championship. Four teams kind of keeps it that way. But there is now an argument that probably half the country has that go to eight, bring in every you know major conference champion, no matter what their record is, um, give a birth to the group of five, and so that the whole country knows going into the season that somebody somebody from that part of the country is going to be in the playoff, and that the season is about identifying who that team will be. Here, here. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for making a few minutes for us. We always appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys.